Shalom and welcome to Product Nation, a weekly podcast by product managers in Silicon Valley, covering how tech products get created and executed by some of the most accomplished product experts in the world. I am Ophel Barab, and today with me and my co-host Neil Paz, we welcome Neil Fish. Neil, what's going on? Cool, Tovo, for how are you? On a kefak, just enjoying the peak of summer, which we just passed. I always think about the equinox, 21 of June, and now I'm starting to... To count backwards and I don't like that I like counting upwards towards the peak of the summer but otherwise I'm excited busy and really excited that we got Amir fish here Amir, hey thanks I'm great how are you doing we're doing great so all of us are in Silicon Valley Amir can you tell us where you're from what brought you here I'm here in the valley probably in the last 10 years I've been a product manager for probably like 15 plus years most recently I I joined Facebook, but I've been 12 years at Google. I've been a product manager in some Israeli companies, Radvision and Vocaltech, mostly in the video conferencing business. And I was always drawn to the product side of things. And when Google more or less started their branch in Israel, I joined that team when they were really small. And with Google, I got more interest in more areas and more roles. And I really wanted to do consumer products. And in Google headquarters is where you can do most of the stuff. So I moved here and took the lead on Google Photos, which was my first product role here in the Bay Area. I just recently moved to Facebook. So most of my experience working on helping small businesses comes from Google. Actually, after my gig on Google Photos, which we launched the initial version of their web interface and everything, I moved to more to the commercial space at Google, included things like Google Offers. working on the ad display network. And in the last four or five years, I've been focusing on building Google's SMB platform, which is basically Google's arm for connecting with small businesses. So yeah, you can definitely say I fell in love in the SMB space. And that's where I'm focused on in the last six, seven years. There are a couple of reasons why I think I'm drawn to this space. One is, The business owners are essentially entrepreneurs, right? They had an idea and they're growing their idea and like making a, a real business out of it and, and making a living for their families. So it feels really rewarding to be able to actually help these people and these businesses. The other thing is I was always drawn to bringing very tangible value. And in that space, the value is very clear and like the problem space in a way, it's very broad, but it's also very clear in the sense that The best way you can help businesses is by giving them customers and jobs and transactions. That's something which is very easy to measure in a way and goal against. So I really like that. And of course, the space is really huge and you can think how you can help businesses with things like helping them actually run their business or, or helping them focus their business on different areas. So yeah, it's still something that excites me a lot. I mentioned Google's main platform for working with SMBs or for getting SMBs online is Google My Business. And the goal of that platform is basically to help businesses represent themselves on Google, be able to build a communication channel between consumers and, and businesses. These things have been really critical uh, during these times. People are sitting at home, or both like consumers and businesses, And yet the business owners needs to communicate with their customers and tell them, hey, my place is closed or it's open. We actually have an, an alternative way to conduct business through Zoom or, or whatever. And 
this platform gives them that ability to do that, right? And we've seen it not only from Google, but all the online platforms kind of like being harnessed to support businesses at this time and help them connect with their customers. So when you're designing a product, what kind of things do you think about? At Google, I spend most of my time on commercial products like Google Offers or Google My Business. And a lot of our challenges are indeed, what is the most useful or most valuable thing you can drive to bring value to these businesses? Because you could focus your efforts on a lot of different ways. One of the ways that I like to think about prioritizing and thinking about product design is thinking about something that I call superpowers, which is essentially how does your product bring some kind of a superpower to the consumer, right? How can you put something in their pocket, which they couldn't do before, and now it magically allows them to do something? And the example I give in these cases is actually Uber. Think about your experience before Uber, especially here in the Bay Area or in San Francisco. If you wanted to get home from someplace, you had to remember the phone number of the cab company, call them, wait in line, etc. Think about the experience that you have now, which is at your pocket, you have this amazing tool that summons a vehicle for you and gets you from A to B. So I'd like to think about product design in a similar way, which is like, how can we bring something to consumers or to businesses, which is so magical, they feel they own now a new tool or new superpower. And that also helps them compete, especially in the SMB space. This is especially important because a lot of their competition are larger companies that have marketing departments, have research advisors and stuff like that. I can give an example of where I've seen it. So uh, a couple of years ago, we went on a research trip to India, to Pune in India, and we interviewed some local business owners. One of them was a masseuse. And we're talking uh, to this guy and we're trying to get them to install the Google My Business app and kind of like uh, talking to them about building credibility on the web and like uh, getting more content and, and reviews and stuff like that. And all that time, every kind of like 15 to 20 minutes, their phone was buzzing. And I was thinking, oh, it's kind of rude, right? Like we're coming all the way from California and this guy can't turn off his phone. And at some point I asked him, okay, what's so important? Why is your phone buzzing? And it turns out these were requests to accept a job from Urban Clap. So Urban Clap is a mobile app that is very common in India, a marketplace between uh, consumer and businesses for all kinds of services, uh, massages included. And it, it behaves a little bit like the Uber for services. So a consumer would click a button and maybe within 10 minutes, they'll be assigned with a masseuse. And within 80 minutes, that masseuse has to come to their place already. And while we were talking, this guy was actually getting real job requests, right? Like they were getting real money. And that was in contrast to just conventional marketing. And I thought that this was another example of that superpower, right? He installed this app and all of a sudden he has in his pocket a way to make money, to make a living. So that was a good lesson for us. I can see that beyond SMBs, you worked on things like ads and commerce. And I assume the superpowers there are a little bit different. So empowering SMBs probably involve uh, getting them more business in a way that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. What type of superpower 
would you say that exist in other lines of businesses like ads or things like that? Yeah. Offers is a very good example of a superpower on the consumer side. It's an opportunity for a technology company to bring a very crucial information to your fingertips just when you need it, right? Like imagine that you really want to buy something or you're about to go on dinner and you're going to a specific place. Offers is an opportunity to get you that deal that you wouldn't otherwise gotten. So I think that again speaks to what your phone and by extension, the technology provider who is who's running the, the service could bring you. On the business side of things, ads in general is by and large, if you think about it, it's an opportunity for businesses to put their message at the right time in front of the right customers, which is also unbelievable that we have. It's already not like a new technology, right? The ads exist for like, I don't know, 20 plus years, but compare that to uh, conventional marketing on newspapers or billboards where your best targeting would be a whole city or a whole area and compare that with being able to customizing it really to the moment that someone says something, right? Or that someone is interested in something specific and you can put your message out there or in other cases is based on their, their, the consumer preferences. So there's like a real time element of matching your message to the right person, which is also pretty phenomenal. We're so used to it by now that we don't think about it as superpower, but it's a very sophisticated machine. Another question is coming up with these superpowers or the, these killer fe- features, technically you'll have two types, I guess. The ones that are solving a very obvious pain point, and then you basically help the customer to solve it. But what about the ones that are not so obvious? So it's not necessarily a pain point, not something that a customer can describe. However, once launched, it's still something amazing that will change the customer's life. How do you find these? What is your process to identify those? Yeah, and this is a great question because you're right, like beyond the immediate problem or challenge, how do you find the next set of problems or challenges that you can solve? Like in PM 101, you would talk about like being user first or like consumer first. Even more so is thinking about a problem in a holistic manner, rather than thinking about the solution. I can think of a lot of examples where folks are in love with the solution or the technology and trying to apply a problem. It's really about owning the holistic problem. Think about the canonical Google's mission, right? Like organize the world information and make it universally accessible. If you think about it, Larry and Sergey defined this mission and their solution was, oh, let's build this page rank algorithm and let's build a search engine and we'll rank the best results. But they owned the problem space, not just the solution. So they didn't stop at that. And right after launching page rank, they said, oh, but people don't know how to spell words. Okay, then we need to build a spell correction tool. Okay, people don't know how to phrase these queries. So, okay, we'll build all kind of query manipulation that whatever query you put in works. And they say, okay, people don't know the language. Okay, so we'll build translation tools. And the web is not fast enough. So they built the Chrome browser to expedite page loads and bring different tools to make a website load faster. So you can see how by going back to the problem and owning the problem space, you can actually generate your next set of ways to unblock 
your consumer or business, whoever your client is? So we're facing a very different reality right now with COVID, and it's affecting many businesses in both directions. There's some positivity for some businesses, some negativity for others. What's been your experience with COVID around SMBs? Definitely what you can see is that some of the challenges that SMBs have on day-to-day has been exacerbated. So the conditions are changing constantly. Places are closing and opening, and it's depending on national guidance or county guidance and all these kind of things. And kind of like the basic need is just to be able to communicate and going back to that ability to do that from your living room. I think technology companies today are able to provide a pretty good solution for that. The second thing is your storefront is closed. So how do you make money? How do you conduct business? And in that regard, you can see a lot of innovation that's happening from small businesses all the way from if you're uh, an education place, running the classes online, consultation that moved online, or tel- telehealth is like one example of that, real estate agents that are giving you virtual tours uh, and so forth. And I think what's interesting to think about is what's going to stay when COVID will subside what part of these technology adoption will stay. And I I do think that some behaviors will stick because I think some chasms have been crossed. Businesses that weren't used to using technology end up adopting it and they're discovering the benefits. And there are some benefits to using these technological solutions, right? Like if you're a landscaper and before that to request a quote, you would have to go to that a homeowner and maybe spend two hours on the road. Now you can ask for photos and you can give a quote on the phone. The other thing is from the consumer side, it's now more acceptable and there's a good chance it will continue to be acceptable to carry these transactions over the, over the phone. And there's some advantages. It could be like an async communication, right? You're sending the photos and you don't have to wait at home. Alongside the barriers that this pandemic has brought us, it did open new opportunities, right? I'm doing piano lessons with my uh, piano teacher in Israel, which I stopped going to 10 years ago, but now uh, it's all online. But there's a lot of companies that we're seeing the best quarter ever right now just because of Corona. So there's definitely benefits to it. So I'll, I'll switch to a question real quick. When you're designing a product, what are some of the things that you think about in terms of aligning the product vision, for example, with the steps that you want your team to assume to get to that vision? Maybe you can give us some secret sauce, some tips. One thing that we're always trying to strive for is finding a product market fit. One example, during my time in Google Photos, we're really trying to get Google Photos off the ground and encourage sharing of photos and content. And... It was the time where Google Photos was part of uh, Google Plus, and we've seen that adoption is not what we expected from the platform, and we were trying to understand what was the challenge there, like why aren't users uh, using it as much as we wanted. We also saw retention rates are, are high, and one of the conclusions that we saw when we asked users is that they weren't confident about what's happening with their photos, or where their photos end up. And that made us think, what is the main mission of Google Photos? What do we want to be? Are we a sharing platform? 
or are we the album of photos in the cloud? And once we made that clarification, we understood that, first of all, your gallery in the cloud, we want you to feel safe and confident in terms of where your content lives and that it's not going to go away and it's yours. And once we made that, things have started to change. And we made the clear distinction between what Google Plus is and Google Plus continued to live for a while in like another surface. And we made the product only about Google Photos. And Google Photos was a private experience in which you would upload content to your own album and your own space. And from there on, you could consciously share that content through, by the way, any means, not just through the Google means. You could use WhatsApp or whatever to share your content. And that made a lot of difference. And being very clear about the problem that you're solving and communicating it to your uh, users is very important. It was like a, a, a sequential process that we moved from the stage before what I described was even before having that auto upload uh, mechanism in which you can think about the pain that consumers had before automatic syncing. You're actually maybe not aware of that, but you're considering whether to take the next picture or not because there's some kind of overhead that comes afterwards in the sense of organizing, uploading, naming the album when you upload it to the cloud, etc. And today you don't even think about it, right? Like you just take 200 photos and the system takes care of itself. With regards to ML, there's definitely a lot of AI technology used in today's photos, but just one story from the time I led the product, we had a research team come to us and they built an algorithm that identifies landmarks in photos. So if you took a photo next to the Champs-Élysées, they would recognize it and they would be able to mark that photo with that location. And they wanted us right after Google Plus was launched and there was a lot of like PR about Google Plus. And they said, oh, can you ask all users to agree to have their location appear based on these landmark recognition? And I think that's an example of, at the time, like a lot of the photos were kind of like shared across users. I think that was an example of like, coming back to what I said earlier, it's kind of like a, a technology looking for a, a problem. And I think that this kind of technology of recognized landmark could be useful, but more in the context of your private space, as you're looking to find your memories and retrieve them and do something that is something not privacy intrusive. And that's very critical when you're thinking about all these automatic classification and stuff like so that. So wait, I didn't catch what's the takeaway for what not to do? One, I would say, think about a problem and not to fit a problem to a solution. So they had a technology and they were just trying to find like some way to launch it publicly. And the, the better way to do it is to try to come up with a use case, which actually solves uh, a real problem to, to users. I'm thinking, was that a team? Was that uh, Google Goggle? No, no, it was a research team. Oh, is an, an internal research team. So it wasn't a different product. Yeah, like th their idea was to integrate into our product, their technology. And the risk there was they were not thinking thoroughly about what's the benefit. And obviously, there are some benefits and some risks. And applying this technology bluntly on all the world's photos is probably not a good idea with all the sharing permissions and, and what goes with it.
we're talking about identifying the geolocation yeah. where the photo was taken and then maybe clumping it by places he visited and other things. So I'm thinking today of some good uses for this is, again, I'm primarily using iPhone photos. So it definitely sometimes has some ways of me searching it. For example, if I need to search from all the business trips, if I remember that it was in Europe on a particular time frame, boom, I can see all the places I've been. And I actually love that because I am a... You know, exactly. I and I think that that's the point I'm trying to make, which is when you're being thoughtful about a specific use case and how you can solve it, then yes, these technologies make a lot of sense because they start from a problem that you're solving, right? Like you're not yeah. going to like the, the example that you gave is about making the content more useful for yourself, right? There's no like privacy concern here, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine the same thing would have happened if you would see your friend's photos all of a sudden annotating location, that could have been surprising. And also the problem that you're trying to solve is not immediately clear, right? You you need to first identify the problem and build a product around it. And then there's a technology that satisfies that. Right. So one thought here that constantly crosses my mind recently is this notion that we ourselves are constantly adapting to algorithms to capabilities in machine learning, right? And so just as an example, a few years ago, there was a big shout over chatbots. And then pretty much everyone that I know discovered that other, that I don't know, some insurance bot that basically helps you fill out a form. And other than that sort of use case, most chatbots are like the dumbest thing that ever was invented, right? You first of all, immediately understand that it's not answering what you want. And secondly, it pretends to be everything that it's not. And so you automatically cancel it out, right? Another example still, unfortunately, is Siri, right? For the most part, Siri or I'm sure Google Voice or any of those, most people only use a tiny fraction from what those bots are able to basically help with. And it's because for this point in time, 2020, with all due respect for the amazing technology that's behind all these, it's still not even scratching the surface for where this could go. So I'm really curious these days about new cases that are coming together as we all evolve as a society with tech, how we make these things useful. Just like you mentioned right now, perhaps on a personal basis, geolocation is the most amazing thing that can happen. I trust it. The moment that it goes beyond me, I dislike it. So knowing where to press and where to stop is, I guess, a big thing for companies for making it work for people. Cool. Let's switch gears for a second. Any advice for people considering new roles? Uh, you just moved to a new, new role yourself at Facebook. What was that process like for you? I'm getting a lot of questions day to day. People either interviewing Google and, or these large companies or already like trying to find a role within these companies. And there's always a question of how do you choose the role, understand what the role is about, make sure there's a fit. And the one thing that I usually recommend in these cases is given a specific area, if you could sit down with yourself and try to come up with like 10 areas or 10 bullets of what are things that you would do in that space, right? And come back to the hiring manager with that kind of list. That's usually something that changes the conversation a lot, both from uh, the hiring manager perspective, because now you have uh, something which is much more tangible to to talk about with regards to your fit to this role. And the other thing is that it gives you a sense of what this role is really about, because you're going to get some feedback about this list and you'll get a feedback which says, oh, we're actually not in the business of doing one and two and and four. 
And you may end up realizing that this team is not maybe the right fit. And maybe there's another team next door that is actually doing the infrastructure of that product. And that's what you're excited about. So I think doing this kind of alignment helps a lot. I can give an example from my career. I was looking at working with the Android Auto team, kind of phenomenal product and like having like an assistant within the car. And when I started to talk about concrete product ideas with them, I realized that actually what I'm most interested about is actually building that technology that feeds into a lot of the interfaces that are in the car, right? Like the the search assistance or like the navigation or like the connection with local businesses and stuff like that. And I eventually went to work on these set of products and not in the Android or in like, I was like in, in another organization within Google. So doing that alignment between, it could be within a company or it could be when you're interviewing into a new company. I think it's very important. And interviewing during pandemic or onboarding, it is even more interesting. Uh, during pandemic, how was that for you? I mean, the whole team is remote, you're remote. Uh, how do you even create connections? How do you learn who's who, who does what? Thing- yeah, definitely. I'm telling folks that actually onboarding during COVID has an advantage over regular onboarding because every conversation starts with seeing the person's living room right? <laughs> or, or their or their bedroom right like uh, and it's 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 actually it's it's true that it creates a very intimate connection right on and if you think about it it's also like a lot of one on ones compared to just having a group setting even think about lunch or or something like that so i, I would say it's a little bit of a slower onboarding, but it's deeper in the sense that you get to know the people. And yeah, actually, it's been a very interesting experience. And so far, I'm having a lot of fun. So let's do one final corner here. So the fun corner, the creative corner. Mia, you're in a parallel reality. No need to work for money or anything that you're doing on a daily basis. Build something. What would it be? Yeah. That's a good question. A year ago, or maybe a little bit more, I renovated part of my house. I, I used to claim I did it for work because I wanted to get experience with a lot of small businesses and service providers. And I think that first, I, I kind of fell in love with this area in general, but you could see how much pain exists all around, oh. especially for the homeowner and how many inefficiencies exist, especially with all the different partners in that journey between you can think about the homeowner and you can think about the the architect or designer and the, the contractor and subcontractors and the suppliers. There's one big communication pain challenge. And the other thing is, how do you track such a project in a way that you as a homeowner don't have to come every evening and start measuring the walls and ensuring that it's in place? Is there some technology that can help you track and i've seen that there are some innovations which are really exciting in that space kind of like robots that are running around the construction site and they have the ability to measure height and depth and stuff like that obviously you can think about how a lot of the tracking of projects could be done online so there's definitely the commercial part of it how do you get exposed to materials and vendors. So it's a space with a lot of opportunities. I know House is doing stuff in that area. So so yeah, I think if it wasn't for small businesses, I think that's probably what I would have done. 
<laughs> awesome. Okay, so final word to our listeners, ways to reach out to you. So yeah, so I'm always happy to chat both like for uh, specific roles at, at Facebook and just generally, especially during this time, I think helping people, helping them in their career path and advising and mentoring is something that I'd love to do. So you can reach me through LinkedIn and I'll be happy to help. Okay, well, thank both of you, of course. And enjoy, I guess, the weekend. Are you before or after the weekend trip? I'm five minutes away from having a jazz jam session with my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. 